But hey, this is Triple M's homegrown right around the country. What a pleasure it is to be joined by this man right now. And I mean, where do you start? What a career. We have a lot to thank him for and his band. I mean, iconic Australian songs. They're important. It's a soundtrack to our lives. And we're saying goodbye for now. You know, we're excited for them as individuals to see what comes next. But for now, it's a celebration as we celebrate the career of Midnight Oil. So many hits. Read about it, of course. The Passion 2, Beds Are Burning. You hear them and it's just like you can just imagine what it's like live. Blue Sky Mine and recently. Gadigal Land at the time of riding. Joining me just before Soundcheck in New Zealand, I am joined by... The greatest Australian drummer of all time, Mr. Rob Hurst. How are you, man? <laughs> Hi, Matty. Yeah, thanks for that. It's so great to chat to you, man. How are things in New Zealand? Well, look, we've got a you know fantastic audience over here, over the Dutch. As we speak, we're just about to play our final show in the town of New Plymouth. Yeah, which we were we were discussing earlier today. We don't think we've been here. Get this, since 1979. Wow, wow. <laughs> On a rather ill-fated five-week tour that we did in that year. Um. How are you feeling knowing that these will be your last shows as you kind of travel around and, you know, get to the end of this tour? Most of the towns that we've played are ones we've got good audience in. Yeah. Um, you know, we started this tour, Maddie, in January at shows in Tassie for Mona. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and then, of course, we were locked out of New Zealand then. So this is kind of a makeup tour here. And then... We're locked out of WA, so we've got mm. we've got three shows in WA coming up as well. Yeah. So instead, we went to we went to Canada and the United States. Yeah. And then on to Europe, and then had a few weeks holiday. Came back and played the Monday Monday Bash in the desert uh, with a host of other bands, and then um, we're kind of resuming the tour now to come over here. Uh, four Kiwi gigs, and then shows in um, final ever shows in Sydney. Yeah. Melbourne, a makeup show in Canberra because the heavens opened last time and there was an electrical storm down there when we tried to play. Yeah, right. Uh, and then the WA shows, and that's it. I remember uh, I was talking to Greg Donovan from the Monday Money Bash, and he said they were going to break the world record for the nut bush. So my question is to you, did you partake in the world record attempt for the most people doing the nut bush at the Monday Money Bash? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were... Um, we're all, you know, we just come from, well, some yeah. of us have just come from Europe. Yeah, yeah. I think course. Jim arrived about 36 hours before that Monday show from yeah, yeah. from Ireland. Mm-hmm. So we were completely upside down and didn't yeah. know where we were. So we were busting and out straight away, man. Yeah. I think it's it's kind of weird, isn't it? Like uh, you guys were performing shows, the Macarada Project, kind of around COVID and then COVID hit. And now you're doing, you know, this, you know, final tour. It must be. You know, kind of strange to think where we were two years ago, where even just playing a gig seemed impossible, especially a big outside venue. And now it kind of seems triumphant. You know, we're kind of, you know, back to normal. What's that been like kind of being in that bubble and kind of navigating around, you know, COVID at the start? And now it seems to be, you know, you can play shows. Yeah, well, of course, it was incredibly frustrating for our band and all the other bands and artists out there. Terrible time um, for so many bands starting off because just as their careers, their nascent careers are are, um, are moving, then suddenly there's no movement. And yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. terrible at that age. It was okay for us because, you know, we could kind of wait out the storm. But, um, you know, the songs that we're playing from the new album, when I say new album, it was made almost three years ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our Dear, 
departed bass player Bonesy Hillman. Mm. Um, I mean, originally we decided we're going to, whatever happens with COVID, we were going to hang in there and we were going to honour Bonesy by playing the songs that he recorded with us all yeah. that time ago, as well as the Macarada songs on that mini album. And so I'm glad we waited because it's been really worthwhile getting around the globe and playing to people that have been coming to see us since some of them since the late seventies. Yeah, I'm looking at like our uh, footage of these shows, and you like people are like visibly emotional. Like there are people crying that this is you know your last time going around. What what's it like kind of being in the bubble and know that you know man this is the last time we're going to play here? It must be a strange feeling. Well, very mixed feelings actually. Yeah, and, yeah. And I think every, everyone will give you a different answer on that. But my answer is that we've never been a band that wants to disappoint our audience either our recordings or our live shows. Mm. The new songs from Resist are as tough. I mean, you played a snippet of a couple of them that we've been playing, but so, there's also some songs like Nobody's Child and Undercover and other songs, and, and they and they still rock as hard as anything we recorded in the 80s or 90s. Yeah. And, um, and they've become part of our live set. Yeah, And there's only one way of playing those songs, and that's pretty much flat out. We're ne- we were never going to be one of those bands that kind of drifts off into the middle distance playing, you know, overproduced, mid-paced kind of stuff and not breaking a sweat. We're just, that's just not us. Yeah. Uh, there are plenty of bands out there doing that. We think that it's better to um, burn out than to rust, as Neil Young said all those years <laughs> yeah. ago. We think that the songs, the, the, sorry, the shows that we played this year around the world have been as strong as any of the ones we've done yeah. hitherto. So we think it's we think it's time. And uh, but of course there will be lots of mixed emotions come October three when we finally pull up stumps. I think it's uh you know when I think about a Midnight Oil show and seeing you live, it reminds me. I'm just going to play a snippet of an interview uh, you did um, with one of the first gigs you ever saw live. But the first really moving concert. I ever saw was Led Zeppelin at the Randwick race course. They played for about three hours. I think more than an hour of that was um, John Bonham's drum solo. But it was just that point that I went back and saw music quite differently, the level that we actually had to achieve. Do you think it was watching bands like Led Zeppelin, like you said, you also said you saw like the Rolling Stones live, like that was the start of it when, you know, you guys knew as a band that you had to perform and give these incredibly, you know, passionate live shows? Well, we were lucky, mainly because... Uh, we actually got to see some of these legendary bands at their peak. Yeah, uh, we were only fifteen or sixteen then. Um, mm. we, we went to see uh, Led Zeppelin and saw the Stones, saw Credence. Yeah, and it was it reminded you that your little <laughs> your little schoolboy band, in our case called Farm. Yeah, yeah, love it. <laughs> there was yeah. there was a there was a long way to go still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. yeah, and then, and later on, that's one of the reasons we we left home and and went and spent quite a bit of time in Europe particularly yeah, in yeah, England. Yeah. We wanted to be, you know, we wanted to be in the thick of it, mm. not on the fringe of it. I love that. And I don't mean I don't mean that Australian musical musicians are fringe dwellers in any shape or form, but I think um I think you feel like you're part of an international community if you if if you're in the great birthplaces of the music that we grew up in, whether it yeah. be uh, London, New York, LA, southern parts of America, mm. particularly, and you know they say all ships rise with the tide, so it was yeah. a new level we had to get to, both in our song, in our songwriting, in our production, in our arrangements, you know. So we realised that there was a higher hoop to jump through, and and by the time Tender One came along, yeah, the hoop was higher. Yeah, I love that. That's that you put that really well, and. You know, talking about that, like moving to Europe as well, you know, I've talked to, you know, a lot of bands and they talk about you in the 80s. And recently I caught up with uh, Jimmy Barnes, you know, this is your final tour. I got him to name uh, 
one of his favourite tracks of you as well. Oils and, and cultures we used to always tear up the same gigs. We toured back to back. We'd, we'd get together and, 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 and party. They've been one of my favourite bands forever. They're one of the most intense rock and roll bands I've ever heard, I've ever seen anywhere in the world, bar none, Midnight Oil, Dead Heart. That's his favourite track. It, it, it really did seem like, like you were saying, going to Europe and stuff, but a great community in Australia too around the 80s in that time. Well, it was an incredible time to be part of, well, they call it, they sort of throw it into one bag, pub rock. It kind of um, doesn't really tell us the story. What, what it actually was, was our Chisel and ourselves, the Angels, Rose Tattoo, My Sex, Dragon, mm, yeah. I mean, the boys, Mental as Anything. You know, we're all on the same circuit. And back then the bands used to work five or six nights a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we didn't really see each other very much. It was very much ships in the night because mm. our managers always had us at a different venue on different nights, obviously. So, yeah. you know, we might we might see each other at some burger joint filling up the Commodores with gas, but we didn't <laughs> really spend very much time with each other. But it was an incredible testing ground, and that all came kind of in the wake of band, the earlier bands, the, the generation before us, mm. and I include ACDC in that yeah, because absolutely. they kind of set the level. Yeah. But even before that, People like the Masters, the Apprentices and Chain, uh, the Loved Ones and those bands that we grew up with. There's amazing, strong uh, Australian rock and roll bands and Kiwi bands as well coming over, yeah, um, yeah. Dragon and whatever, with great songwriters and great performers. And it was an incredible time to be in a band because, you know, we were talking about how you set a level. Well, I remember when the Angels um, got Ray Hawkins to do their lights for them. Yeah. It was like... It was like the first band I'd ever seen in the pub with a theatrical light show. Yeah. And we thought, oh, we want one of them. And then my six went, oh, we can do better than that. And then <laughs> yeah, yeah. everything was like a, it was like an unspoken one-upmanship. But the level, <laughs> yeah. the level went over the course of a couple of years, and I'm talking the late 70s, early 80s, the level of production just went through the roof. Well, that kind of takes me to, you know, then to now. Uh, what are the biggest differences between touring? Uh, obviously, there are, there are a few. Maybe uh, you've got to keep a bit more in shape. But talk to me about some of the biggest differences from playing then to now. Well, I'm the only one now, Maddie, that, that doesn't wear in-ear monitors. And that's oh, been a huge... Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, cool. That's been a huge game changer for um, particularly Pete. Yeah. Because uh, as the amps got bigger, you know, like he just couldn't hear himself. Mm. As a result, his singing is stronger yeah. than ever. I agree. And, um, and everyone else is on monitors. They can hear themselves. Um, and that that would be the main thing, really, just the level of. But you know, meanwhile, the the, the PAs now are crystal clear. Yeah. Uh, but I also have to talk about our incredible road crew. Colin Ellis has been doing our sound now for a long time, and he's a sound genius. Very, very rarely do people go away from Oil Show and not say, you know, that was the most incredible, great, clear sounding, but loud gig. That must be another thing you're going to miss, apart from you know playing these shows and uh, you know and seeing the guys and performing with them, like. Being on tour, it is a touring family with your road crew. You're seeing them every day, you know, that they become like family and, you know, you're going to miss as well. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, my drum tech, Clem Ryan, lives in San Diego, but he came over. All right. I said, I said, Clem, I'm not doing this tour if you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Because Clem, you know, helps me with my microphone. He sets up and tunes the drums, but he also sets off uh, the samples and the, and the sequences when we use them. Mm. Uh, He's just massive. He, he, he calms me down when I get agitated. He brings me hot drinks when my throat's wrecked, which it is at the moment. You can hear it. Um, But what you're saying about the families, right? And we've got an even bigger family than normal at the moment because we've got the amazing Liz Stringer and Leah Flanagan singing with us, Mm. singing Bonesy's parts. Um, we needed such strong vocal reinforcement when we lost Paul Bonesy. And also we've got Andy Bickers playing tenor and, and baritone sax yeah. and occasionally teaching a bigger 
brass section to come in as well because brass has always been a very big midnight oil thing. There's a lot of songs that have brass. So, yeah, it has been a family and it's been a touring family now for, what is it, nine months. Yeah. It's been, yeah, it's been one of the most... Um, pleasurable tours I can remember, but also not relying on back catalogue stuff, putting in every night yeah. different songs from the new album and yeah. bringing out really uh, obscure songs from the past that yeah. we have to go back and run a couple of times in soundcheck so we remember them. That's what I love. Like I have been looking at your set list and I'm loving how much you guys are mixing it up. I think, you know, you know, a lot of bands when they tour, you know, it's pretty safe to play the same thing every night just because, you know, you, you know what's going to happen. It's predictable. But that's what I love about these shows. And watching footage of you guys, man, the intensity when you guys perform, you know, it's, it's like watching you guys, you know, in the 80s, you know, the 70s. You've still got that much energy. It's uh, like you said, man, it's, it, it's quite incredible. And for, you know, I've had a lot of people calling in and the level of excitement in Melbourne and Sydney is real because, you know, these 10 to 1 shows are going to be quite special. Can you talk us through uh, the ideas and, and how this kind of came together? So there's a couple of albums that we've done in the past from top to bottom. Yeah. Usually 10 to 1 or um, Diesel and Dust. Yeah. They're very different albums and they're very different parts of the band's career. And we were quite different people with different experiences. With Diesel, you know, we were heavily affected by the Blackfella, Whitefella tour mm -hmm. and playing with the amazing Warumpi band in the Western Desert and the Top End. Yeah. Really changed the band forever. Mm. Uh, but with 10 to 1, you hear a, a pretty angry, desperate band. You know, the year before we'd gone over and been lucky enough to record with the great Glyn Johns. We recorded a few unknown bands like the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, the Eagles, uh, the Rolling Stones. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a dream to play with, record with Glyn, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Still didn't, it still didn't capture the, li uh, the live energy on, on, on the album. So when we met a very young Nick Launay, who'd worked with Public Image Limited, uh, Birthday Party and a few people. Yeah. And we realised that this man was mad, but also a genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we also found out that the Townhouse Number no. 2 studio was available and we were hanging around London yeah. wondering what to do back in 1982. That really changed everything. So that a lot of the sounds that you hear on 10 to 1, um, a combination of a band, very, very kind of, very desperate, really. Very, yeah. in many ways, quite fearful. I mean, remember this was um, the IRA were busy in London blowing things up. In fact, we heard them blow up that bandstand up in Regent's Park. We were there yeah. that day. The windows wobbled when we heard it. And, wow. And then, of course, Chernobyl happened around about then and sp spread a toxic cloud all over Europe. And, and there was a feeling that uh, we're all going to be immersed in some kind of nuclear winter with a standoff between yeah. a succession of Russian premiers like Andropov and Shonenko and yeah. all those ones post-Brezhnev before Gorbachev came in. And it was just got a, and all of those fears about nukes and uh, about the IRA and it's just all came out on that album, you know, mm. um, just went blah. And um, yeah, man. And you can hear it in the in, in the performances, particularly songs like "Somebody's Out There," "Somebody's Waiting," yeah, "Somebody's yeah, Got yeah. to "Somebody's Trying to Tell Me Something," you know, which was thrown down in a single take mm. with those screams of Pete over the top. It's just yeah, it was really. I mean, there's no. I don't think there's, there's no faking the energy on yeah. on an album like that. Mm. And that's why you know they're incredibly unique. They sold out, you know, in minutes, and one of the most anticipated concerts this year. But getting back to you know the end of this tour. What are you going to miss the most about playing with Midnight Oil Live? What um, well, I, I'm going to miss uh, having my, as I mentioned, my brilliant drum tech, Clem Ryan, there <laughs> all the time. You know, I'll be back playing with the Backsliders next yeah. year, which I can't wait. 
um, you know, and lugging the drums up the stairs again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back to the bone. Um, you know, we kind of get the Rolls Royce treatment now, which is really great. We can, we can't put on the shows without really great people around us. Um, not just the crew, but we've had brilliant management with with John Watson and Mel Chenery mm-hmm. in the last few years. Eleven management. Our kind of shows don't happen in a vacuum. They happen with a whole lot of other people around it. Our friends and family. It's um, yeah. It's there's a there's a lot that goes into it. But at the same time, I'll also be really happy just to to go and play at the local pub. You know, I mean, I didn't ever expect us to have this kind of career. I remember thinking if we could just play, make it one album, which was the first one, the Blue Meeting, when that came out, it was like everyone went, okay, job done. Anything past that, this is 978, by the way, mm. anything past that, you know, will be a bonus. And here we are, you know, after 45 years odd, whatever. Yeah. What we miss the most about your bandmates? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's uh, <laughs> we push each other. That's a, that's a good um, thing. No about it. I think you need to do and, that. Well, I've been very lucky, you know, when we lost Paul Bonesy, I've got Adam Ventura now playing and singing directly to my left. Yeah. And he plays he plays and looks a little bit like also like Peter Gifford, our bass player Giffo. Mm. He's he's a brilliant player and he's learned, I don't know, 85, 95 songs now of our 200 plus catalog of songs. He's yeah. he's been amazing. Yeah. So I'll, I'll really miss the rhythm section that we're formed. Mm. <clears throat> I, I miss Bonesy every day, of course. And, of course, I'll miss the friendship with um, with Jim and Martin and, and yeah. Pete, obviously, yeah. yeah. But, you know, with I mean, a band like us that's had such a dream run for so long, uh, we can't complain about anything. Absolutely, man. Rob, this has been so much fun. To, I've looked up to you for so many years, man, and to be able to chat to you on here at such a very special moment in your career you know, I'll never forget this. And just quickly, you know, Midnight Oil means so much to so many people. And that's because, you know, you guys, you know, you had guts, you did things on your terms, you know, you took stands uh, for issues that were really important to you that I think a lot of bands wouldn't have the guts to do, which is why you're so respected here and all around the world. And when I thought about finishing this interview, there was uh, lyrics in one particular song in the last chorus that I thought felt appropriate. You're probably going to think this is super lame. And maybe it is, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. To say the things he truly feels And not the words of one who kneels The record shows I took the blows And Did it your way, man. The best. Thanks so much for chatting, Rob. All right, Matty. My pleasure. Cheers, Matty.